Good morning, FCS football fans. Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. I am David Hassegan. To my left, the czar of the playbook, the very well-traveled czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Good morning, sir. Bro, I'm tired, man. Like, <laughs> yo, Saturday's double dip was hella exciting. But also hella draining. But how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing just fine. We've got a busy week ahead. We've both got places to be. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But I'll tell you what, trying to predict this FCS season, you got about the same odds as winning the Mega Millions jackpot tomorrow at what, 1.6 billion? What is it now? 1.6 billion, but like the lotto, you got to be in it to win it. You do have to be in it to win it, which is why that's where I'm going right after this podcast is over. I'm getting out of the studio. I'm finding my local smoke shop and I am getting myself some lotto tickets because... Why not, folks? Good luck to everybody playing it at home, but seriously, this FCS season is absolutely crazy. We had a whole string of upsets again, some more top 10 upsets again. It's a weekly thing now, folks. You should be used to it, but it's still getting crazier and crazier, and we still have several weeks left to go in this season. But if you want to listen back to all the craziness that happened earlier this year, just go to iTunes or SoundCloud. You can listen back on all of our podcasts while you're over there. Don't go. Don't forget to go to footballgameplan.com where Emery has his videos and podcasts and everything else going up for all your football knowledge. And go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan for everything about the FCS, including the video previews. You don't want to miss out on those. They cover everything in, in there. Let's get right into it, Emery, because once again, this weekend was crazy, but as we mentioned at the end of the last podcast, you had an even crazier weekend than normal because you were doing double duty on Saturday. You had two games to go to in one day, and yet you somehow pulled it off without being blown away by a gale force wind. Man, listen, first of all, <laughs> you always think of Murphy's Law when you're trying to do something historic, right? And, you know, what what can go wrong will go wrong. And my, my biggest worry was an overtime game. And so at Georgetown, the game was – the game flow was going great. It looked as if Georgetown was going to pull away early from Lehigh, but it looked as though Lehigh came back and then the offense was starting to catch fire, and they were going to pull away from Georgetown. But we got a defensive slugfest between two teams, and it came down to the last possession, which was interesting because Georgetown was driving. I was like, okay, they're making some plays. Yep. They may actually pull us off. They got inside the 35-yard line, and I'm like, okay, the passing game is starting to click. They're going to probably complete one more play, uh, get it closer because the kicker had missed three field goals, four field goals in that ball game. So not, I was like, okay, they're going to. Not they, so much his fault, though, because the wind was crazy. Not at Georgetown. This okay. was early in the day. Okay. So it's like he's going he's gonna to make this field goal or they're going to get a touchdown because they were moving the football at will on that last drive. Coach Scarlotta took the air out of the ball and was satisfied with kicking the 47 yard field goal, which. Seems to be the theme of the day uh, that uh, that weekend in the na- nation's capital, um, and lo and behold, the kick gets blocked, and so now we go to overtime. I'm like, oh my god! So I had to make the choice: do I do I stay for the entire overtime period? God knows how long that could be in college football with the rules, right? Or do I beat the DC traffic and the crowd at the game? It was a sellout crowd at at uh, Cooper Field, and get on the road to. My other duties, which is at Morgan State, so I left at the end of regulation, uh, put it in the hands of, of good people and Jeremy Huber, the play-by-play guy, and Mike Niebert, the former Fordham quarterback who's the color analyst as well, got on the road, got to, to Baltimore in time, hearing it on the radio, hearing that it was a double overtime game in Georgetown, Georgetown pulls it out, gets to uh, Morgan State, 
and the weather is, is cool. It's, it's a night game. Right. And so I had my, my suit jacket on, but halftime I saw the temperature drop. I got to – I went to my car, grabbed my coat because that's when the hurricane force, gale force wind started <laughs> to pick up. It was so bad at uh, from the third quarter on that you looked at – the goal, it was weird because to my left were a set of flags. Right. And they were blowing, you know, vigorously to the to the west. On the other side of the goalpost, there's a set of flags that were blowing vigorously to the east. So the wind was all <laughs> over the place. And the, it was so bad that the, uh, the Morgan State has fences set up or you know, a little small plastic right. fences, but heavy, around the track and, um, you know, so around Earl Banks Field. All of those blew, blew, blew down and blew away. The medical tent for Borgen State blew away. <laughs> and, and the press box where we broadcast from is on top of the stadium. So we're uh. outside. So the play-by-play guy, Phil Shaner, has to hold the two monitors that we have down because the wind was that crazy. And in the fourth quarter, it starts to rain too. So <laughs> it was chaotic, but we got it done. And I got home about 1.45 in the morning only to turn up the next morning to get to MetLife for the Jets and Vikings I was about game. to say, you suffered through all of that, and then you had to watch a Jets game. I feel so bad for you <laughs> right now, man. It's, it's been a busy week. Let's get into the FCS action, though, across the country, because as I said, upsets galore again this week, and we got to start with probably the biggest one across the country in the OVC, Jacksonville State. They already had a bad loss on their, a couple bad losses on their schedule, they still were predicted to be the dominant force in the OVC. We figured by the when all is said and done, it's still going to be their conference to lose. They might have lost it in Week 8. Southeast Missouri State is for real. They win 37-14, 14 unanswered points in the third quarter to start the second half. Is this Jacksonville State done, or can they actually redeem themselves after a game like this? They always can redeem themselves because this is a very good football team. They have a great defense, great offensive line. And, uh, you know, they're still Jacksonville State. They're a brand in the FCS. But you have to give a ton of credit to Southeast Missouri State because this was a game that we sort of pegged as one that, of, that had a lot of intrigue in it because right. of how well the Red Hawks have played throughout the season. But I didn't expect Jacksonville State to come in and lay an egg like they did. But the Red Hawks got great play from Marquise Terry, their dynamic tailback, one of the best tailbacks in the FCS, a senior. Uh, and they were able to keep their foot on the gas and, and make plays defensively. Once they got the ball back, put the ball in the end zone constantly and keep the pressure on Jacksonville State to match their level of production. And they weren't able to do that. And they just threw a whole monkey wrench in the entire OVC. Because if you're Murray State, you're looking at this like, thank God for SEMO and for what they were able to do <laughs> to help us out here as we are 4-0 in, in conference. Play. Murray State crushing Eastern Kentucky this week as well, so they are in a great position right now going into that game this upcoming weekend. Some wildness in the Southland. We've said that before and we say it often, but we kind of we kind of saw these two games coming. We've been talking about this. Let's start with the big one, number six big knees. They didn't lose. They were they were preached to. They were preached to by Incarnate Word. They were given the gospel for all four quarters, and they lose 45-17. But we saw this coming. We've said it. McNeese has been flirting with a loss. Yeah, they have been flirting with a loss, playing those close games, and they ran up against an offense at Incarnate Word that does a great job of not only you know expanding the field both east, west, and north and south, but they play with speed. They got a ton of talent down there, and they're putting it all in position to, to make plays. 
and that's what happens. That's what almost happened in week one against Northern Colorado. Yeah. You saw it happen to them, obviously, against an FBS opponent in BYU. But teams that have the ability to spread the field and play with speed and push the tempo, push the pace, they're going to give McNeese problems because the, their offense, I don't think, is as dynamic as you would like it to be to make a deep run in the playoffs. Defensively, they're good, but offensively, I think they have some questions. That's why Incarnate Word was able to run away with this one and now put themselves in position to be a serious player in the Southland and not only in the conference, but also maybe for an at-large bid. And we saw two different quarterbacks as well for McNeese in that game, so we'll have to see what the decision-making process is going forward there. Another wild win in the Southland, though, Sam Houston State loses again, this time to Lamar, 41-23. Lamar is having a very quietly good season, but Sam Houston State, this kind of loss, the Southland's playoff possibilities right now are getting smaller and smaller to see more than maybe two teams out of this conference. Listen, we always were skeptical about Sam Houston State, but that's before they made the quarterback switch. Right. And, and now you look at <laughs> the fact that they got into a groove and they were winning. They were looking like Sam Houston State of old. They were blowing teams out or putting up points. And now you find yourself in a situation where you're losing again to Lamar. And Lamar quietly – has looked impressive the last two weeks. Yeah, they put the they put the fear in God in um, who they played last week because uh, they, they almost won that <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah, and, and so this week they were able to finish the drill and and make a make a big statement game. And I love the parody in the Southland now. Yeah, because at first it used to be McNeese, Nichols, um, and Sam Houston State, Central Arkansas. It was used to those four teams, and Nichols came on to the scene last year. But now you have Incarnate Word. You have Abilene Christian playing some good football. Lamar's playing good football. Yeah. I think now you have a ton of parity. It makes the conference a lot better. And I think because of that, folks nationally will start to take the Southland Conference seriously. They're going to focus on, oh, your best teams are losing. But they should focus on the fact that these teams that used to be at the bottom are now coming up and getting up to speed and making this conference deeper as a, as a result. Let's go to a, a conference that is notoriously deep, and let's go back to the CAA. Never underestimate a team with a badass nickname, and that is the Tribe of William & Mary. Knock off the Maine Black Bears 27-20. to Is this a death blow for Maine, or because they've started the season so well and they were so highly ranked, can they now? was that the last error that they can afford going forward the rest of this season? I think that's the last error they can afford. Even though they're only 3-1 and one in conference play, they're still in good shape there. But they have a couple of bad losses, man. They do. They have the loss here against William & Mary, who in credit those guys for you know, rallying the troops. They're 2-2 two and two right. right now in conference play, 3-4 and four overall. And you know this is Jimmy Laycock's last season at the helm. So right. they're playing inspired football, but you don't lose to William & Mary if you're Maine. And, you know, I think the two losses they have this season will, you know, play heavily in the minds of the selection committee if they're right. not able to run the table and get some help and, and try to, you know, win this conference. But, man, it's, that was a loss that you kind of it's, – it's sad when you look at the schedule and you kind of pencil in where wins yeah. and losses are going to come from. Right. And you kind of overlook – as analysts, we tend to do that. Like, we'll overlook, okay, they'll win this game. The next tough game is two weeks down the line, blah, yeah. blah, But you can't do that in real football. We do it in, in the Ivy League. Okay, we're just looking forward to Princeton and Dartmouth on November 3rd, I believe, or November 10th. But Princeton nearly lost to Harvard. Right. You know, so you can't really overlook teams in, in, in practice. 
And so when you're Maine, I don't want to say they overlooked William & Mary, but I just think William & Mary came to play that day and they got the win. Well, you look at Maine, they've got a win over an FBS opponent in Western Kentucky. They have a win over New Hampshire, win over Rhode Island, which is a good win this a good year. Win. win over Villanova. Their losses are to Central Michigan, FBS opponent, and a close ball game. They had that one. one. That, that, I'm, that's, a, that's a positive to me. Right. Lost to Yale at Yale, which is a tough place to play, but this loss to William & Mary is their first hiccup. If they lose to Albany next week, especially with the last three games of Towson, Richmond, and Elon as their last three, that could be it for the Black Bears. The loss to Yale is a, is the is the tough loss because that's an empty calorie type of a loss mm-hmm. because Yale doesn't go to the playoffs. Right. You know, and Yale is not one of the top two teams in the Ivy League. Now Yale is good, but they just lost Kurt Rawlings. We we don't know how long, you know, he had the boot on. I was at right. that game on Friday night um against Penn. So that's the other loss that Maine has. That's a that's a bad loss because it's an empty calorie loss. If they lost yeah. to Princeton, Maybe, but Yale, you can't you can't lose that game if you're Maine. Let's move on to a uh, one of the few ranked matchups we had this past week. Um, number two goes down. South Dakota State loses to Northern Iowa again. We're going to talk about the Missouri Valley in a little bit and whether or not they are the top conference in the FCS. This is a game you can point to and say, yes, it is. You have a team like Northern Iowa who's having a good season. Conference ranked 25th. They knock off the number two team in the country, 24 to nine. It's a big win for the Panthers, but it also shows maybe there's a couple of chinks in South Dakota State's armor, too. Here's what I like about this game. One, you saw Northern Iowa do a great job in, in, in slowing down a high-powered offense and playing great defense. But where was this effort last week, you know, right. for Northern Iowa on defense? Right. And we put out – where I put out the, the midseason football game plan, FCS kickoff top 25, right? Right. I didn't have South Dakota State in my top five. I had them in my top ten. Right. Got a lot of flack on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, how this is a, a BS ranking. These guys clearly haven't watched the Missouri Valley Conference. Well, we watch everybody, first of all. South Dakota State loses. Yep. Last time I checked, you have to have great deep. If you, when you pass the eye test, the eye test to me reigns heavily because when you watch Colgate play, you're like, this is a damn good defense. Yeah. And when you watch South Dakota play, South Dakota State play, I'm sorry, you're like, okay, they're good, but they're beatable. Right. You know, you don't right. see that. You don't see the it from them. And that's why I didn't have them in my top five. In my top five out of the Missouri Valley, I had North Dakota State and Illinois State. Right. And so um, I think South Dakota State has been this type of team. You know, they, they're – and we kind of expected this coming into the season not to, not yep. to you know – try to look for affirmation and not confirmation. But there were some questions about this team coming in and against North Dakota State, here against Northern Iowa, those questions have started to show itself. Yeah. You know, so and that's why so credit Northern Iowa for eliminating the possibility of losing this game by taking away those new weapons that they found that they've had success with this season. But Northern Iowa's offense probably has been the more consistent than their defense. But right. this was a tremendous defensive effort by the Panthers. It was a bad day for, for the whole state of South Dakota. Let's talk about the other game in the Missouri Valley. Youngstown State, they, they were dead and buried after week one when they lost to, to the, a team from the, from the uh, Pioneer League. But here they come again, 29-17 over South Dakota. Youngstown State, are they back in contention for you? Or was this game against the South Dakota team that's been kind of inconsistent just kind of running the mill for Youngstown? Well, this is the inconsistent bowl. 
uh, between two teams that have been inconsistent. You know, when they're on, they're good. When they're not, they they lose terribly bad games like this one. This was a a game where South Dakota should have won. But you look at Tevin McCaster. He's their best player on South uh, on Youngstown State. Great game. Team. He had a great game, 176 yards rushing, and not to make excuses for Youngstown State, but they had a lot of injuries preseason, and they came into the season limping, and they lost that bad game to Butler uh, in the opener. But they are still one of the quality teams in the FCS as far as depth is concerned. Right. That's why they're able to pull away from a team like South Dakota State. But South Dakota State, if they're going to win games. Austin Simmons has to play better than what he played against the Penguins. And that's been their go-to. When he plays well, they win games. And when he doesn't, they tend to lose games. They can't overcome bad play from him at that at, you know right now on this football team. So they're not that good like they were last year uh, from a total team perspective. Austin Simmons has to continue to play efficient and effective football. But now you see another... Uh, Wart start to show itself as far as their run defense. You can't allow McCaster to have 176 yards rushing because, as we know, that's all about control. You're right. Young Sound State was able to control the game and slowly choke out South Dakota. Let's move on to a big game in the SWAC that happened this week. Alcorn State. This was really the last big hurdle for them in the SWAC. You know, trying to become the SWAC East champions once again, taking on Grambling. Grambling, as we know, ineligible for the postseason play because of uh, some violations. But they gave Alcorn a scare. 33-26, Alcorn wins. Are they set up now? We talked about this a little bit before we came on air here. Is Alcorn all set up to go to the SWAC title game at this point? I think so. They are clearly the better team in the East because Jackson State lost this weekend to North Alabama. Right. And they've already beaten Alabama A&M. They lost to Alabama State. So this was the last real hurdle, like you said. And Grambling played a hell of a game. Um but Alcorn, showing that they are the better team at this point, was able to, to sustain that uh, you know blow and then build on top of that and, and win the game against Grambling. They are the they're going to be the representative in the East. Yeah, the West is still kind of murky because you still have <laughs> Grambling playing spoiler. Southern is playing better, even though they lost to Alcorn. So even if we get looking forward, even if we get an Alcorn and Southern game, that's a tough matchup for Southern. But they're thankful that they can get that opportunity to to play them again. Because if there wasn't a championship game, it would just be Alcorn going to the Celebration Bowl. Right. But now that championship game kind of brings Southern back into play. But they also can't look ahead because they got Grambling. And they, I know they beat Prairie View. Uh, but now Grambling plays Prairie or uh, Alcorn plays Prairie View uh, right. this week. So it's going to be a good, interesting uh, last couple of weeks in the SWAC. But this was a huge win for the Braves. Let's talk about one more game here. And this was a game that was going to tell us a lot about the Big South, one of the smaller conferences. We know how dominant Kennesaw has been, but the question was going to be, who is going to be the challenger? Was it going to be the same as last year with Monmouth being the big dog trying to take the crown, or was it going to be Campbell, the, the new kid on the block in the Big South, who's really made a big impression? They had the better record coming into this game. It was the first conference game for both. Monmouth shows up, though, and gets a big 38-21 win over Campbell, Showing maybe a little bit of experience in this conference a little bit? Well, here's the thing, too. I don't think this game even counted toward conference standings. Right. Uh, I don't think Campbell is fully in, integrated as far as being eligible for conference title uh, consideration. So they still don't have a conference game. Now, right. if you're Monmouth, you still pick up a quality win. You won three straight, and you're 5-2 and two on the season. Um, and that's a very good team that they beat in Campbell. 
Right. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And when you look at Monmouth winning that game, one of the biggest questions I had coming in was how will Monmouth be able to stop the run? Because that's been a big issue for them all season long. They don't have the horses up front defensively like they normally do. Right. So they were able to slow down Campbell's ground game enough to where they were going to steal some possessions. I know uh, Daniel Smith, the quarterback, is is one of the the, the big time players in 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 this in this league and in this conference. Uh, but they held him to being more of a passer, and that's not his game. Although they have a great receiver uh, in Aaron Blockman out on a perimeter, Monmouth's running game was able to find success in a big way against one of the tougher defenses, one of the more athletic defenses in the Big South Conference. So credit Monmouth for really playing their game. They run the ball. They played assignment sound defense, but they stepped up big defensively, I thought, in this game against Campbell. And FCS Stats is listing it as a conference win for Monmouth. Okay, so ESPN is wrong. So I would say okay. ESPN is probably wrong on that fact. It was, there is a little bit of confusion, though, with Campbell moving into a new and, conference. And there's also some confusion in the, in the MEAC as well as what counts as a conference game and what doesn't this year. So exactly. it's weird. Uh, ESPN has been wrong a lot because they, they list Georgetown as 2-0-1 in conference, and we know that game did not end in a tie. There are no more ties in college football. <sighs> oh, ESPN. Get the go interns to, together, man. Go to FCS Stats, folks, for all your FCS knowledge. They are up. On, they are on point. Let's get to some game balls here, Emery, before we get into a couple of talking points before we go into the break here. And I am going to start here with a pair of running backs from North Dakota. i got to talk about James Johannesson and Brady Oliveira. They had a big game for the Fighting Hawks. Johannesson, 11 carries, 213 yards, and two touchdowns. And if they could stop him, they couldn't stop Oliveira. 18 carries, 171, and three scores, five rushing touchdowns between the two. North Dakota, they have a big game coming up in a couple in later on this season. They look like a real possibility of making the playoffs as an independent, and these two guys are why. I'm going to go in the backfield for my offensive player of the game, give a game ball to running back Miles Wanza of Lamar. 15 carries, 168 yards, and two touchdowns, and a 41-23 win over Sam Houston State. Really good job of, again, running their way to victory against a team that has had issues in stopping a run this season. <laughs> you're, you're saying that lightly. I'm going to give an all-around game ball here to Steve McShane, the, the uh, running back slash wide receiver from Western Illinois. 14 carries for 143 and a touchdown. Four receptions for 95 and a touchdown. Led his team in rushing and receiving yards in their win this past week. So game ball to McShane. I have to give a game ball to William & Mary's defense. One, they upset Maine 27-20, but they forced three interceptions, held Maine, which is very tough to do, to 69 yards rushing, and they scored a defensive touchdown, a 90-yard pick six by Armand Jones. Uh, they really set the tone in that ball game. So the Tribe's defense stepping up big and out-defensing Maine in this matchup. Maine is normally known for their defense. Yes. William Mary did a great job defensively. Talk about defense and just in general, how about a shout-out to Northern Colorado? Got their first win of the season this, this past year, but they got a safety, they had a blocked punt for a touchdown, and an interception return for a touchdown in this game. Northern Colorado finally gets on the score. We've been saying it all year. They probably could have four or five wins at this point. They finally get their first one. Shout-out to Northern Colorado's defense. And since we're giving shout-outs, I have to give a game ball and a shout-out to the Georgetown Hoyas. Ended a 17-game losing streak against Lehigh. Their first win against Lehigh since when? You want to take a guess? First win against 
Lehigh sends, I'm going to say 85, 84. Okay, that's good. No, 1925. 1925. 1925. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time Georgetown wow. beat Lehigh in a football game, and they won a double overtime thriller, 22-16, to pushing their record to 3-0 and in the Patriot League, 4-4 and on the season, and sets up a monumental battle this week against... The Colgate Raiders. Oh, just, just. Uh, Can you imagine if Georgetown? If Georgetown wins that game, I'm done with the season. It's over. <laughs> I got to give one more game ball, though, to Marist quarterback Austin Day, who had himself a hell of a game 21 of 33, 440 yards and five touchdowns, and his receiver, Justin Christian, eight catches, 246. That's the second time Justin scores. Christian has balled out like this. He's a tremendous player. And I can't believe you blew the chance to say Austin Day had a hell of a day. Like how you blew that opportunity? I don't. I thought that's who you was going. I was like, yeah, he's about to, he's about to hit this one. No, I, it's a layup. I, I do not do cliches, my friend. <laughs> and also, a shout out to the Mississippi Valley State offense: yes. seven rushing touchdowns, and he got their game. first win. And you talk about a ridiculous game. That game was wild. But let's get into a couple of talking points. There are several. Uh, shout out to Tyree Adams as well. Very Billy McCrary from Abilene Christian had a great day. But let's talk about that Georgetown defense that you just mentioned, and you're raving about. This Georgetown team, when you look at them on paper and you look at the stats, it's not a team that blows you away, or should blow you away, I should say, for those that you know don't see them every week like you do. Right. What about this Georgetown team is so special to the point where, as you said, they are now challenging one of the best teams in the country, Colgate, for that Patriot League title? Here's why Coach Rob Scarlotta should get a ton of credit and always should be in contention for Coach of the Year for what he's doing uh, with his program we know a few years back the Patriot League went to scholarship football which is why you're starting to see the uptick in a ton of talent uh, across the board pro talent as well right. guys getting drafted you know Bucknell having draft prospects and Fordham having Chase Edmonds so you're seeing a ton of talent across the board right um, but Georgetown is like the Ivy League they don't offer athletic scholarships so imagine being in a league where everyone offers scholarships except you yeah that's a recruiting disadvantage right and when you look at the type of program Georgetown is, it's just like Stanford, Northwestern, Rice, Tulane, the Ivy League schools. You have to be able to get in as a student first before we can even have you as an athlete, right? right. So you have that ed, uh, disadvantage. And not saying that being smart is a disadvantage, but we're talking about the type of uh, school you have to get in. There, there are higher academic standards right. um, that you have to get in. Now you look at on-the-field play. Georgetown has always had really good defense, really good special teams. So they go by the mantra of, hey, we're going to try to win two out of the three facets of a game. And nine times out of ten, that's going to get you a win in football. Right. So you can, if you are playing great defense and special teams, you can win. Offense, special teams, offense, defense, you know, you can mix and match. But you got to win two out of the three facets. The problem for Georgetown has always been their offense. You know, they haven't been able – they'll lose games 9-6, you know, because right. their offense couldn't – put together a drive or be consistent. And so this year they bring in a new offensive coordinator in Rob Spence. He has done a great job at Morgan State. All He's been a well-traveled uh, college football offensive coordinator. Right. And they're starting to do a lot of different things creatively as far as getting their backs in the passing game. They're pushing the ball a little bit more downfield. Gunther Johnson, while he may not be the polished passer, he's a tremendous athlete. So when it's not there, he's taking off and running. They're utilizing the tight ends now in their offense and when you combine 
a versatile offense that's now able to have some success in moving the football, maybe close out a game or two, combined with defense and special teams, that explains why they are 3-0 and in conference, 4-4 and in the season. So to play, always play a conference game or always play out-of-conference games, essentially with one hand tied behind your back, Coach Scarlotta, to me, he he's he's a great guy. I've interviewed him before. Um, I see him every week. We talk on a conference call when we do the Georgetown home games. He's a great dude, and he's a he's a great coach. He has a, a, a really good attitude about the program. Any other coach would use this as, oh, man, this is why we're not winning. But he sees it as a challenge. His team sees it as, as a challenge. They're never really blown out, you know, uh, of a game. Right. Even when they are out man and, and outmatched, they still compete hard, and they still find ways to make plays within the game. Matter of fact, in this game against uh, Lehigh, Lehigh scores. Brad Mays throws a phenomenal pass on a quick slant or maybe a sm- just, a, just a longer slant, right? He hits uh, Porter Real, the receiver, on a, on a slant, and he just outraces everybody to the end zone, right? Right. And that was going to put uh, Lehigh up 7-3 to three, or 7-7-6 seven to seven to because Georgetown missed the extra point. Here is this, um, the situation where there was going to tie the score 7-7. Seven seven. Georgetown, uh, Lehigh goes for the extra point, blocks it. Georgetown picks up the ball. One guy makes all kind of moves, and, and he's, in, he's in trouble. Looks behind him, sees his teammate, laddles the ball to him. The linebacker, Wes Bowers, takes it 60 yards the rest of the way. So now Georgetown is still up 9-6 because of the effort. Um, and that's the type of effort you see from Georgetown every week. Right. And, and and those plays tend to define a program. And I, I have to continue to give Coach Scarlotta credit because a lot of coaches would use that as an excuse, but he finds ways to be productive. Even when they are not having success, they are not a bad football team. You watch Georgetown, they may be 2-8. and eight, But you say, you know what, that's, that's not as bad of a team as the record may indicate. They're in a lot of games, and now they're starting to finally find ways to win. What, what would you say, though, to – Someone who brings the argument that the Patriot League, for the most part, is a joke. It has been. It was last year. It is this season. Four teams have one win. One team has two wins, and then you have Georgetown and Colgate. So, what would you say to the person who says, "Look at the rest of this conference. Georgetown's winning, but who are they really winning against? These teams really aren't that good." Well, first of all, you still have to win who's on the schedule. True. You, you can only play who's on the schedule. You have to win those games. They can easily lose those games, right? And when you look at the league, there's there's answers for everything. There was a lot of turnover in the league. Number one, you have, what, three new coaches? You have a coach at Fordham, uh, two new coaches, coach at Fordham, coach at Holy Cross, right? Right. Two new coaches. Then when you look at Lafayette, we talked about their issues last year being a young team. They're still young. They're playing a lot of freshmen and sophomores. So, yes, we've seen Colgate make that – I'm not Colgate, Columbia make that jump, playing a lot of freshmen and then sophomores and Yale do right. the same thing. Uh, different dynamics here at play. But they're young. Bucknell has has been competitive. They just haven't been able to close out games. Lehigh, we know, is having an, an anomaly of a year. And having the, having talked to Coach Cohen, who's a phenomenal coach himself and, the, and one of those great guys and great personalities, he let he let it be known. He was like, "Listen, we have a ton of injuries, and we had a lot of guys get hurt in the preseason, right. especially along the offensive line." Brad Mays is a phenomenal player. They have Don Bragalone, who's a phenomenal player. Porter Real, the receiver, is a phenomenal player. So. And uh, Sam McCloskey, the, the safety, is an excellent player. And, and so watching that game Saturday, I was like, yo, Lehigh is not bad. Lehigh just has a, a, a great case of unfortunate situations that have happened to them. So 
I would say this to those that doubt the Patriot League is look at what's going on within the league and knowing the league in depth like I do. Understand that, you know, these are our young teams now. And next year we're going to be talking about the Patriot League, just how we're talking about the Southland, just how we're talking about the NEC um, as far as being competitive top to bottom because of the depth, because of the experience that these young guys are getting this year. But so it's not to take away what Georgetown has done. Georgetown is a serious contender. They have the defense to match Colgate this week. The question will be, can their offense have their best performance of the season? Let's move on to a conference that gets a lot more press, and that's the Missouri Valley. This is a conference that, by and large, has been the top of the heap for quite a few years now in terms of strength of conference, top to bottom. The question now that is coming up, we've seen it all year with teams in the Missouri Valley losing games that maybe they shouldn't be losing. You talk about Northern Iowa, who's coming off a nice win. They're sitting in a good position right now in second place in the in the Missouri Valley, but they lost to Montana, who, as we've seen now, has fallen off. You look at a team like Western Illinois. Maybe they shouldn't have lost to Montana State, you know, something like that. All these teams, you look down the roster, except for maybe North Dakota State, have these laws, I mean, Youngstown losing to Butler. So the question now is, obviously we know it's still a very strong conference, but do we overrate the Missouri Valley? Has the CAA kind of passed them by, at least this season, in terms of top-to-bottom depth of conference and the strength and what these teams bring to the table? That's a great question because I think we look at the Missouri Valley Conference kind of like how we look at the SEC. Right. When you're talking about the SEC, you're only talking about essentially Alabama and whoever is the top team in the East, and sometimes LSU. But nine times I've seen you talking about LSU in a condescending way, like, man, they got a great defense, but, man, they can never find a quarterback. Yeah. But well, you're never bringing yeah. up Vanderbilt. <laughs> you're never bringing up South Carolina. You're never bringing Kentucky. up Kentucky. You're never bringing up Ole Miss, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so Unless talk- they beat o- o- Alabama. Exactly, right? So that's what I'm saying. When you talk about the Missouri Valley Conference, you kind of get blinded by North Dakota State and right. South Dakota State. And depending on the week, Northern Iowa, right? right? So I do think we overrate the Missouri Valley Conference because, yes, the conference is tough. Very good teams top to bottom. You did a great job in laying out the point about that. But these teams out of conference have been sketchy this year. This year at least. This L- year at Last least. year they were dominant. Right. This year, yeah. They lose another conference yeah. game. You don't lose to Butler, I'm, you know. So yeah. that, that's what I'm saying. So, And then – you know, you talk you talk about the CAA and the the depth and parity and Missouri Valley Conference fans will be quick to point out Missouri State. Yeah. Touche, right? Touche. Touche. They're the only ones that have actually beaten the teams that they beat Northern Arizona, who they probably if you look at conference to conference, they should have beaten, but then you look at their stats and you're like what? <laughs> and the, the, the favorite argument for right, exactly. We we joke about Peyton Huslick and his interceptions leading the victories. Um but when you talk about the Missouri Valley, I think a lot of people always say it's the same thing about the SEC. They say, well, these teams just beat up on each other. They're just so good. Their defenses are trash this year. Let's be honest. Outside of North Dakota State, yeah, there is no defense being played in the Missouri Valley Conference. Outside of maybe Illinois State, too, that plays defense. But Illinois State seems to have the turnover bug where they, they turn the ball over and they lose games. Yeah. You know, they're 2-2 two and two in conference and 5-2 and two overall. So when you look at this, from an overall standpoint, North Dakota State, Northern Iowa, South Dakota State, Missouri State, 
and Illinois State are the only ones with winning records. That's true. Western Illinois losing record. Youngstown State losing record. South Dakota now with that loss, losing record. Indiana State and Southern Illinois all have losing records. So this conference, to me, this year looks a lot like the Southland. Yeah. You know, so I know they're going to get more than two teams in. Oh, absolutely. I know that. You know, and we t- we joked early in uh, preseason, we actually thought, that, you know, maybe they could flirt with four or five. Right. You know, but find me the five teams you would put in the playoffs from the Missouri Valley Conference. Ahead of teams from the CA, which, by the way, there are seven teams as of last week. Well, in, in this week, they have seven teams ranked, and all of them are above 500 records. Mm-hmm. So you look at the CAA, Towson, Stony Brook, JMU, Elon, Maine, Delaware, URI. Last week, were all ranked. Now, a couple of them lost. They're going to be dropping in the rankings, but they're all above 500 ball. Now, to be contrarian, Missouri Valley Conference fans will point out, well, we beat Delaware in North Dakota State. Yes, Yeah, true. North Dakota State. Yeah, North Dakota State. Cool. Exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about. Alabama's putting up 56 <laughs> points a game. Exactly. All right, yeah. So, yeah, our team beat some other team in the SEC. It, Was it, it Alabama? No. Okay, cool. Like, let's talk <laughs> Let's talk Kentucky. Let's talk Mississippi State. Let's talk Missouri. <laughs> Missouri actually having, eh, no, never mind. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, when you look at the Missouri Valley Conference, man, and, again, yes, historically, good. Outstanding. Last year, they were very good. This year, defensively and just overall, you know, you may you may only get two or three. Three will be pushing it, considering how the rest of the conferences the conferences have done. Yeah, the rest of the country is wide open. Is wide open. So, I do think we tend to overrate the Missouri Valley Conference, um, and it it's more evident this year, considering how everyone is playing. Right. Teams don't used to see that on your schedule, and teams don't fear the Valley coming to play you now. Right. You feel as though you have a chance, unless it's North Dakota State, then you feel as though, okay, <laughs> we got to keep this close. You know, yeah, so, exactly. But I think I think we do overrate the Missouri Valley. I will say this. They are 1-1A. One CAA and Missouri Valley are 1-1A, one and, and they kind of switch back and forth. Right. So we will say that. I know the mentions are going to be flying our way after this. But at Craig Haley. <laughs> yeah, at Craig Haley. That's our current complaint department. But that being said about North Dakota State, right before we get to break, is there any team in the Missouri Valley? They have four games left. South Dakota, Youngstown State. Missouri State, Southern Illinois. That's the remaining schedule for the Bison. Is there any team there that can challenge them? And if not, who nationwide do you give a chance to of beating North Dakota State this season? Another great question. Let's let's answer it this way. What does North Dakota State play well? Uh, do well. They they run the ball. Check. They, they play great defense. Check. They are situationally sound, so they're able to overcome mistakes, which means they do play great third-down defense, third-down offense. They play great in the red zone. Check. So they have a lot of positives. The weakness of North Dakota State, to me, I think there's a chance that you can get to Easton Stick. So from that standpoint, who has the best best pressure package? Right. Um, So let's say Colgate has the best ability to, to apply pressure. Okay. So, Colgate defensively matches up well with North Dakota State. Offensively, I don't know. You, I don't, I don't know how you have to be able to score against North Dakota State. I don't know if Colgate's diverse enough offensively right. to put points up on North Dakota State consistently. 
To say this, though, with North Dakota State, the only close game they've had this year is South Dakota State. They only beat them by four. Because of the offense of South Dakota State being right. able to throw and also run. So does a team like South Dakota next week have a chance? They don't have the defense. They don't have the defense. Kennesaw State is another interesting one, right? Right. Because they have great defense. They don't throw the ball, but they have a good option play. They good. And here's a problem with that. We've seen this play out, in theory, against North Dakota State with Wofford. Right. They've been able to beat Wofford and beat option teams. They beat Charleston Southern as well uh, when Charleston Southern was good. True. You know, in the playoffs, I believe. True. And, I mean, in the opener. So when you look at Kennesaw, Kennesaw has the, the uniqueness of the offense, but North Dakota State has played that offense. And defensively, are they that good? They're great this year. Are they that good enough to, to stop North Dakota State down in, down out, running the football? So you take them off the table. Let's look at another team that has a has a chance that I think can can have a chance against North Dakota State, and it's going to be one that's off the wall. Um, UC Davis. That's an interesting play. That's an interesting play. They have right the there. passing game. They got one of the best wide receivers in college football. In college football, regardless of division, right? They also have a quarterback that's a lot like Easton Stick. Mm-hmm. They can run the ball. Mm-hmm. I only worry about their defense. I'm not worried about the offense. Right. I worry about the defense of UC Davis against North Dakota State. So, so you scratch out UC Davis. You scratch out Colgate. You scratch out Kennesaw. Let's throw another team in the mix, right? That and this is this is another interesting one. And and what, what makes this one interesting is the fact that this team has a little bit of both. Towson. I think Towson is the team that can beat North Dakota mm. State. They're, they're, they're opportunistic on defense. They're dynamic enough on offense. Yep. And they have the X factor and Joe Flacco's brother, Tom Flacco, who can scramble and also make big plays in the passing game. I like the, their defense more so than James Madison's defense against North Dakota State. I feel as though I can trust Towson in a neutral site winner-take-all game against North Dakota State more so than James Madison, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. Before we go to break, I'm going to throw out one more team at you. And the reason I'm going to throw this one out is because it's completely hypothetical because it will not happen. Princeton. Of course. Princeton, the way they run their offense. Obviously, you have Lovett, dual-threat quarterback. They have a quick-fire offense that can burn you so many different ways. Great running game, tremendous defense. Hypothetically, if Princeton were eligible for the playoffs and they matched up with North Dakota State, would they be good enough to give them a challenge? They are in the same position that UC Davis would be in. Okay. Let's look at the defenses that, the, the offenses that Princeton has going up against, right? Mm-hmm. Butler, you trust their offense? Hmm. Nah. Ma- Monmouth, you trust their offense? A little bit, uh, probably more so. They beat Monmouth 51-9. Yeah. Columbia, you trust their offense? Nah, not this year. Lehigh, you trust their offense? Definitely not. <laughs> Brown? No. Harvard? Nah. Exactly. So, <laughs> yes, their defense may be great on paper. But what have they played? I don't think they, they're – this defense, I wanna, again, let me preface this by saying – their defense has played well. They've done a great job of turning the ball over. They can affect the pocket. Down to down, can they handle North Dakota State's offensive line and running game? Now, it could be a shootout, 
if they played each other, I think this game would look like the old South Dakota State, North Dakota State games. Right. Where it could be high scoring, right. be chaotic, you know, um, play here or there. It could, you know, Princeton could pull off the upset. They do have the offense to do it. But. I don't know if they have the defense. They have okay. the uh, like they have the offense to make it a, a a a close game because they can score at will. Defensively, I don't know, but I like your hypothetical right there. You went you went deep, you know. I might as well. I might as well throw because right now the Prince is the best team in New Jersey, so I might as well throw them. They in are the best team in New Jersey, <laughs> at, and that is counting the two pro teams that play in New Jersey. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Folks, this is time where we're going to take our break. When we come back, we're going to have a buy or sell session on topics all across the board in the FCS. We'll get into our Telling Trap, Unzung and Best Games of the Week, and we'll have some game previews for you, as well as telling us where we're going to tell you where both of us are going to be this week in Week 9. Again, you're listening to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. We'll be back after this commercial break. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the Football Game Plan FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hasegan here with the czar of the playbook, Amory Hunt. Again, folks, if you want to listen back on all of our podcasts, trying to break down the craziness of the FCS season so far, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes. You can listen to those on demand there. Just search Football Game Plan in the podcast section and subscribe while you're over there so you don't miss anything from our football game plan content don't forget to go to footballgameplan.com for all of your football game plan knowledge and don't forget to follow us on twitter at the fcs kickoff at fcs opening drive and at fball game plan emory let's get into the second half of the show we got still more to cover let's do some buying or selling and we've been talking about these topics back and forth now it's time to give them to you and see whether or not you're going to ride the stock market on some teams or maybe some scenarios here. Let's start with the SWAC. Southern, for you, are you buying or selling Southern to win the SWAC and go to the Celebration Bowl? Man, I am I am buying Southern. And, okay. and this is part affirmation, but also part conf- uh, confirmation. Like, I want to see them go strictly because I know the crowd that they're going to bring. Right. And it's going to be great for TV and a Celebration Bowl. They could, do, they could set attendance records galore. But from a football standpoint, they've won two straight games. They're 3-1 and one in the SWAC West. And, yes, they lost to Alcorn is the team that they would face in the a- uh, AFC, in the <laughs> SWAC championship game if they were able to – if they're going to meet there in uh, late November. Right. So if it happens, you already played this opponent – you have tape on what they do well and what what got you beat. 
so you can have a chance to adjust. And when you have something to play for, not just the swag title that's just waiting there right. hanging in front of you, you have the celebration bowl dangling in front of you as well. <laughs> You're going to get trickeration. You're going to get crazy play. They're playing inspired football. I think the biggest turnaround for them has been their defense. Um, so their defense is playing great, and you have to have all this momentum heading into a conference championship game. First of all, there's a couple of roadblocks. Yes. There's Grambling in the Bayou Classic. So they have to play three essentially three straight bowl games. The Bayou Classic is, is one of the, the bigger games of the season regardless of right. subdivision. Then you have a conference championship game more than likely against Alcorn State. Then you have a uh, then you have the bowl game. So I am buying Southern in the whack uh, the swack. Why am I all of, I am old school today. Words words are hard. Well, swack well if you if uh, just to try to save it, if you are projecting Southern in the whack, you know, BYU Hawaii and San Diego State those the old the old whack. The old whack. Maybe they could fit in, but I do see that I am buying them as a swag team. Let's move to the Southland now. Incarnate Word have come out of nowhere. Are you buying them, though, to win the Southland Conference? Let me ask you, what do you need, number one, to win the Southland? You need to put up about 50 points a game and have some sort of defense or something that looks like a defense. And guess what Incarnate Word has? But I don't think they have enough. They have. I think they have enough defensively. They have a they have a premier player at every level. They have a a, a tremendous tailback and Raquan Dickens, who's phenomenal. Okay. They have a edge rusher that's phenomenal as well, and um, and he's a pro prospect. And you talk about Justin Alexander, six five two sixty five, so you can get after the quarterback. Right. And they have a premier player in the back end that could take the ball away at cornerback. And Jamarquise Williams, who's 6'3", 198. So, defensively, they've gotten better. Offensively, they can put points up on the board. They're 4-1 in conference. But are they winning the Southland? Whew. I'm not buying it right now. I still have faith in the team they just beat and dominated, McNeese. Central Arkansas is a team that I'm, I'm still keeping an eye on. I think they have now the leg up. Winners of three straight games. So I'm not buying Incarnate Word winning the Southland. I am buying them being a very good team. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I would say that I would agree with you on that one. Let's move into a hypothetical for the playoffs. Will a team from the MEAC make the FCS playoff bracket? Not the Celebration Bowl, FCS playoff bracket. Well, we know they're going to make the, the Celebration Bowl. Oh, I know. I'm just I'm clarifying for the people at home. Here's the thing. In order for that to happen, North Carolina A&T shouldn't have lost the game, uh, shouldn't have lost two conference games. Right. So they're going to fall out of the top 20, I believe. Okay. Now, they just beat Bethune-Cookman in an impressive fashion, but I think the the shine has worn off a little bit from North Carolina A&T. You know, they beat Jacksonville State. They did upset – East Carolina, so they have two big wins on their schedule, but they have two MEAC losses. And, you know, one of those losses, granted, is a good one because it was to FAMU. Right. But the other one was to Morgan State. That's not one you want to have. They beat nah. Morgan State. Maybe they're still in that top 15 and they could hold steady and just miss the Celebration Bowl, but 
have a higher enough ranking to get into the playoffs, I'm not buying them as a playoff team or, or MEAC getting into the playoffs. Uh, I think they're just going to be a celebration bowl participant. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Murray State, undefeated in the OVC. Right now they are in the top spot. Do you buy or sell them winning the whole conference with their game this week against Jacksonville State? Man, I, you, you, I wish you would ask this question next week because <laughs> then I would know. For sure. <laughs> Let me get my ticket after the Mega Millions numbers have been drawn. All right. I'll write them at the bottom and I can sign that one, right? Right, exactly. Because <laughs> this is the biggest game they're facing. And they've won impressive contests, man. I can't take anything away from Murray State. Murray State right now is showing to be one of the better defensive teams in the conference. Out of conference, they were they were sketchy, but they started the season 0-3. Yeah. And the fact that and but here's the thing. They lost a game to Southern Illinois. They lost to Central Arkansas. Yep. And they lost to Kentucky. But they've only beaten UT Martin, Eastern Illinois, they, in which they had to come back, Eastern Kentucky, and Tennessee State. Now they have still left to play Southeast Missouri, Jacksonville State, and also Austin P. So am I buying them? Nah. I'm, nah. I'm not buying them just yet, man. Like, they, this is – this week starts the week where you can start to ask if I can buy Murray State because if they can beat Jacksonville State, then that gives you confidence of them matching up against Austin P and also matching up against um, Southeast Missouri State. All right, let's move to the CAA. Stony Brook and Delaware. Are you buying either of those teams to either win the CAA or in contention to stay in the playoffs at this point? I'm buying them, yes, to stay in the both in, teams to stay in the yeah for the uh, playoffs. The playoffs. Okay. Yeah, buying them both for the playoffs. Okay. I had a great conversation this week and check the video out on FootballGamePlan.com/slash/fbgpu uh, with Stony Brook's running backs coach Omar King, and really we had a deep conversation about why Stony Brook is the way it is. Right. Why their mentality has been run game defense. A lot of it dates back to their head coach Chuck Priori and because the job he had done as a wing T fullback and bringing that same underdog mindset to this program. So when your foundation is run game defense, you always are going to be in a position of control. They have a they had a big win this week, homecoming, knocked off Rhode Island in impressive fashion. And they're sitting at 4-1 and one in the conference. They beat Richmond. I think the only team they lost to was James Madison, I believe. Uh, so when you look at the Seawolves' schedule, they've been battle-tested. They lost to, they lost to Air Force. No, they lost to, they lost to Towson, actually. They lost to Towson. They so, got okay. JMU this week. This week. Oh. Yes. They beat Rhode Island, but we know that's, you know. They beat Villanova at the time Villanova was, was Villanova. Um, beat Bryant. That's actually an impressive win at this point. Right, that's an impressive out-of-conference win. Cause, and they held Bryant's offense to 21 points. Right. Uh, so I look at this as, yes, I am buying them because here's the thing. James Madison and Delaware are their two biggest tests. Um, and they got them back-to-back weeks. They got them back-to-back weeks. Uh, so I am buying both teams to not only be in the playoffs, but also be contenders for the CAA. Actually, let me correct that. It's not back-to-back weeks. They have JMU, then a bye week, then Delaware. That's perfect. So they have a full week. That's ideal re- for them. They have full two weeks to prepare for you, Dell. What? Two more here to go to before we get into our Week 9 games. 
the Big Sky Conference has been wild and crazy again. The Wild Wild West. Buy or sell, the Big Sky is good enough to get four teams in the FCS playoffs. Four teams. All right. So if four we're t- if we're talking four teams, you're talking about UC Davis, Weber, Eastern Washington, and Idaho State. Probably. Probably. That would be the four <laughs> teams. That would be the four teams, right? Right. Idaho State, as great as we they were to begin the season, we talked about them. They lost two straight. Right. UC Davis and Weber State to me are two of the the top teams in this conference. Eastern Washington is still there though. They're and they're dominant. still five and two. I think they get three. I'm so I'm selling. What about Montana State? Now nah, I, I see them losing one more game. Okay, so not four teams, but you think three? I, I'll buy three, but I'm selling on four. Okay, last one in the buy or sell is Kennesaw State a contender for the national championship? They won a game last year in the playoffs. They did. Then they got to. Uh, they won two games actually. I think they won two. Yeah. They, they beat Jacksonville State. Yep. And then they beat uh, Sanford, or Sanford, then Jacksonville State. So they won two games. Right. It's always the – it depends on how the bracket shapes right. out. Because if they play a team that runs the option, they could get in trouble. No. If they're in the same side that plays North Dakota State, then they won't get to the game. If they're on the opposite wow. side, they can get to the title no game. No chance at all. No love for the option. I love the option. But I don't love the option against North Dakota State in the playoffs. <laughs> I think if they're on the opposite side of the bracket where they don't have to play North Dakota State before they get to Frisco, yes, they can get to the championship game. Okay. But if they have to play North Dakota State for a chance to go to Frisco, I, 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 I'm not So on you're that. selling dependent on the draw. Dependent on the draw. Based on the draw. But they are a championship caliber team. Okay. All right. I, I will say that I think they are more dynamic than some other option teams are like a, I think they're more dynamic than a Wofford. What what makes them different than Wofford in your opinion? In my opinion, I think they have I think they have more diversity in the backfield where they have it's you know usually you have you know one, maybe one power runner and then you have a whole bunch of guys that are you know able to do the sweeps. They've got two or three guys that can bust it up the middle including Burks in at the quarterback position. That's where I think, you know, having that dynamic quarterback play as both a you know a guy that can go to the outside, fake the pitch or make it and still be able to plow through the middle, I think that gives them a bit of a, a bit of a different wrinkle. You know, I kind of agree with you because they also have a really good weapon at receiver in, in Justin Sumter. Right. And we, we've never seen Wofford even have the threat on the outside to as, scare you. As soon as you sleep on an option team that can has the chance to throw the ball, you get hurt right. big time. So, okay, I, I can agree so with that's, you there. That's I definitely why, agree with you. That's why I think they have a, bit, a little bit better shot. I think they do make at least the final eight. Oh, easy. I think so, too. If not the final four. Because of how they play football. I think defensively people sleep on how good Kennesaw is uh, because they do a great job of turning the ball over. I think people sleep on how good they are um, because they're so focused on their option scoring, what, 40 points a game, something like that. Let's look at Kennesaw's schedule, first of all. We always got to do tail of the tape. And that's been a, that's been a theme here in, in this episode. Well, they lost to Georgia State. They should have won. Yep, crushed Tennessee Tech, crushed Alabama State, crushed Clark Atlanta. Tough game with Samford. They only won twenty four ten there, but then they shut out Presbyterian and they crushed Gardner Webb. But they're 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 winning the games they should, but they're doing it in big fashion. Their test starts November third. Campbell, Campbell, Mama, Jacksonville State. 
those are three tough games. Those are the games we're going to – those are play-in games. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, especially the Campbell, Campbell and Monmouth games. Let's get into Week 9's preview here, Emery, and let's talk about some of the telling games that I'm looking forward to this week. UC Davis at Montana. If Montana's going to turn it around, they have to do it this week and against a very tough opponent. Otherwise, I think they're done. Uh, Incarnate Word at Nichols. Talk about a telling game in the Southland. <laughs> if Nichols loses this game, Incarnate Word's probably going to the playoffs. If Nichols wins, they might just barely save their lives. Towson at Delaware, very much a telling game. That's also one of the unsung games of the weekend. Stetson at Davidson, who knew that was going to be a telling game this part of the year? But the big telling game to me this week, Bryant at Sacred Heart. Mm. Interesting ball game in the NEC there. Some of the trap games. Maine, don't let one loss turn into two, but they're hosting Albany this week. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a trap Again, game. Again, that's a trap game. And the other one, Northern Iowa traveling to Western Illinois. I'm just saying, Western Illinois is better than the record. Much better than the record. If you look at their roster, and Northern Iowa's coming off a win over the number two team in the country, they might be sleeping on this one. Unsung games this week. Alcorn taking on Prairie View A&M. Huge game there. Jacksonville State at Murray State. And that Georgetown defense at Colgate. That is a very unsung game, and I cannot wait to watch that one. Best games this weekend, though. Central Arkansas at McNeese. Huge game in the Southland. Stony Brook at JMU. Illinois State hosts South Dakota State. That's a critical game in the Missouri Valley. Let's get into some of these games. William and Mary at Rhode Island. They've already knocked off one of the surprise teams this year in the CAA. Can they do it again back-to-back weeks for the trot? Man, when you're playing inspired football, you can do anything. We've seen that be the rallying cry for Rhode Island. So this is a game where Rhode Island, like you always say, can't let one loss become two. Tough loss on homecoming. the other team's homecoming in Stony Brook. Uh, so how can how quickly can they rebound and can they get up for this game against a team that's not that good, but they're playing inspired football? They're the Rhode Island team uh, of next year, I believe. Right. And so this is a game that Rhode Island has to come ready to play to win. And especially after this game, they've got Elon and JMU on the road. So they can't overlook. They can't overlook this game because they got two big games coming yeah. up. Southeast Louisiana at Sam Houston State. Talk about a game that could be a play-in game at this point for Sam Houston. With the way that they've played this year, they're 4-3. and three. Southeast Louisiana is not a bad ball team. Sam Houston's playing for their lives this week. I was about to say, this is potentially the knockout blow for Sam Houston State. Southeast Louisiana has a chance to really scratch their name out as far as an at-large team. Yep. So this game is huge and one that Southeastern Louisiana has a great chance to win. Like you said, they are not a bad football team. They actually match up well against Sam Houston State. Can we say intrigue? Very intriguing game right there. Intriguing game there. Talk about an intriguing game here. This one wasn't even on the schedule. It's that intriguing (laughs) at the beginning of the season. But because of all the national (laughs) weather that we've had this year, Nebraska lost a game in week one. They had a bye week. They needed somebody to play. Here comes Bethune-Cookman. There's no way. I mean, Nebraska, I know they're 1-6, but they're coming off their first win finally. Does Bethune-Cookman pull off maybe the shock of the year in this game at Nebraska? (laughs) There's always a chance, right? But I think the fact that Nebraska's coming off their first win, they're motivated now. They see the results of the hard work and all the – losing and now they got that first win. They got the monkey off their back, right? Right. But Thune Cookman 
this again this, to make the same case for them uh, beating A and T, how they would have had to play to beat A and T. Arkevius Williams has to play great from the quarterback position as far as throwing is concerned. We know he can run. We know Bethune Cookman's mantra is run game, defense, special teams. Their passing game is usually as a compliment, but I think their passing game has to be excellent. I don't think they can knock off Nebraska and pull off the upset, despite how bad Nebraska is. Nebraska still has some really good players, especially on the perimeter. I, I will say this. It's going to be cool seeing one of the legendary programs of the HBCUs traveling to one of the legendary programs yeah. of college football. That's going to be a cool sight to see. I do know Coach Terry Sims will have his guys amped up and ready to play. So the first quarter is going to look interesting. Very interesting to, to, to Cornhusker fans. Very interesting. Okay, let's get into a, an unsung game this weekend. Yale at Columbia. Last year, this is deciding the Ivy League. This year, they're trying to stay in contention in the Ivy League, trying to keep up with Dartmouth and Princeton. Interesting game in, for the Columbia Lions. Yeah, because they're 0-3 right now in the Ivy League. And the fact that this is interesting because Yale will be without Kurt Rawlings, who was injured. And Columbia's bringing in has brought in a new quarterback. They've yeah, got a so, freshman. So... You know, that makes this entire game intriguing because Yale was playing great ball against Penn. Rawlins went down with that, that leg injury, so and he had a boot on, so I, I doubt he's going to play right. this year, uh, you know, uh, this game. So that's why this game is interesting because Columbia has a chance to really make this a two-team race for the Ivy Championship. Trap game in the Ivy as well. Dartmouth hosting Harvard. Is there any chance that Harvard can pull the upset here? Well, first of all, break up Harvard's defense because they, they – yeah, held Princeton <laughs> under fifty points. <laughs> so I don't, you know, that right there gives them a chance. Yeah, but I do think this is a trap game because Dartmouth, as good as they are defensively, offensively, they're a bit one dimensional. Yeah, they're run game heavy, right, with their quarterbacks and with their running backs. So if Dartmouth can make Dartmouth, if Harvard can make Dartmouth <laughs> beat them throwing a the football, yeah, Harvard has a chance. Yeah. I don't trust Harvard's offense enough to be able to overcome such a great defensive football team. If I could combine Princeton's offense with Dartmouth's defense, I'll go play North Dakota State. <laughs> that would be the That's all, the best because Dartmouth has a cornerback in, in Isaiah Swan, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Let's move on to a wild, an intriguing game out west. Portland State at Sacramento State. For whatever reason, Portland State is still in contention here. Nobody saw that coming, including us. Where does this go for the Vikings? This is a <laughs> trap game for Portland State. <laughs> Amazingly, <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Portland State is 3-4 and four overall, but they won two straight games. They're 2-2 two and two in Big Sky Conference play. Sacramento State, a lot of injuries. I expect a lot from this team. Um, I expect them to be like in the top four, to be maybe that fourth team to get into the playoffs. Yeah. That was my hot take. Right. Portland State is above Montana right now in the standings. <laughs> Portland State is playing inspired ball, and this is what happens when you continue to play football uh, and buy into the message and buy into what's going on and, and start to believe in yourself and, and get victories. Now this team is playing some of its best football, Can they? Have, and they can't afford to overlook any opponent. No. So this is this is going to be a game where they can continue to, to – push forward to not if they can't make the playoffs this year it builds a strong case for them to start the season atop the rankings uh next year i will say this montana is ahead of them because they're two and one okay they are even with montana state but they're ahead of idaho sacramento state and southern utah 
ESPN.com's college football standings <laughs> for the FCS is completely trash. And that's why I go to FCS Stats Football. Montana right here is listed as 2-2 two and two in conference, 4-3 and three overall. Ah, ESPN. Oh, ESPN. Shout out to ESPN3, by the way, and ESPN, because I, I, <laughs> I am on their broadcast. So Now, maybe we can get you into their stats department. Let's get into another game here. Southeast Missouri State taking on Tennessee Martin. Southeast Missouri State's played great ball. Are they looking at a, at a trip up this week? Trap game alert. <laughs> oh, no. UT Martin has lost three straight. I mean, the way the season's going, you know what? You never know. <laughs> UT Martin well can come out here and, and explode offensively. <laughs> um, I think this is a situation where Southeast Missouri State has the OVC title in their sights. Yeah. And so talk about a team that's going to be hyper-focused. It's, it's On paper, it's a trap game because UT Martin is a well-coached team. But I do believe the Red Hawks could overcome that and win that game. Interesting game in the SWAC here. Two teams that are at 500 in conference play in the SWAC East. Alabama State at Alabama A&M. Big rivalry game. Big in-state recruiting battle here. And the winner still has an outside shot of going to the SWAC title game. Well, it's the Magic City Classic. So that's the, the big reason why this game made our preview. Uh, but like Because like you said, it's a rivalry game. And I think we're going to be in store for an exciting game. This yep. is a strength versus strength battle. I think defensively, Alabama State plays great defense. Offensively, with Connell, Connell Maynard, the head coach at Alabama A&M, their offense has been solid. They've been improving. They're going to be a player in the SWAC East next year. I love their quarterback, Akil Glass. And Coach Donald Hill Ely has done a great job at Alabama State as they remove the interim tag, and um, they're going to have him be the guy there, and he's going to implement his style of play and system. Right now you're seeing it take effect on the defense side of the ball. Offensively it's going to take some time. But this game, it's a rivalry game, it's a Circle City Classic or Magic City Classic. Throw records out the window. Um, should be a good one. Last year they had Ludacris as the halftime performer. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be the performer this year oh, in, at geez. this game. That's going to be a crazy one. Another crazy one, this time in the MEAC, Florida A&M. This is one of the last real hurdles for them to get over in order to get to the Celebration Bowl. Morgan State. They have Howard next week on the road. They better not be looking forward to that game because Morgan State quietly has given some teams trouble this season. Here's where Morgan State gives teams problems on defense. One of They probably have the best group of linebackers in the FCS. Ian McBurrow, wow. Rico Kennedy, those guys are active. Also, you look at Damari Whitaker. So those, those three guys are athletic. They're lengthy. They're about 6'2", 225. They take the ball away. McBurrow had an interception in last week's game against Howard. So the passing game of Florida A&M has to be careful because those linebackers of Morgan State – are excellent in coverage. The problem with Morgan State is offensively. Right. Can they throw the football with consistency? That's going to be the challenge because FAMU is going to have to stop the run. If FAMU can stop the run, now uh, Josh Chase of Morgan State is a tremendous tailback, six feet two twenty. He was he wasn't expected to play last week. They put him in the game. He ended up going for uh, damn near hundred yards. Right. Right. But the guy Will King at five nine one seventy five, former receiver was the starting tailback. He was running his tail off uh, in this game. So they got two tremendous tailbacks. FAMU has to be able to stop the run. If they could stop the run and make this a Ryan Stanley versus uh, DeAndre Harris game, that easily favors FAMU. And FAMU has has a very underrated defense. They've been quietly pretty good 
uh, since conference play began. They held Central to 14 points. They held Savannah State to 13. Shut out Norfolk State. And, and I kind of want FAMU to win. And I know I love Morgan State because I'm on a, all of their broadcasts. But if, if FAMU wins this game, I have the broadcast the following week of FAMU and Howard. That's a huge game. That's massive. I want the huge game. That's you. You want to be on the marquee. That's yeah, I want to be on the marquee game. Let's get to our final preview here: the FCS stats game of the week, and the fact that this game is being played with an independent team is just shocking. But that's how good North Dakota has been this year, and they are at home against Weber State. Both teams, I believe, are five and two. Mm-hmm. North Dakota has already two wins over ranked opponents this season. Weber will be ranked coming into this game. If North Dakota wins this game, they could be looking at a playoff spot as an independent team, and that is nearly impossible at the FCS level to get in the playoffs. What's going to be so interesting to watch in this ballgame? Defense. I love Weber State's defense, and I'm all in on North Dakota's defense. So the, if you love defense, you're going to love this game. So then the, the focus turns to which quarterback can overcome the other the, the opponent's defense and have successful plays in the pass game because both teams are, trying to, are going to try to come in, run the football, play safe, safe offense, and try to win with their defense and special teams. But at some point, you're going to have to throw the football and, and be efficient and effective in it. That's going to be the key to watch in this one. I can't wait to fully break this down in our Week 9 FCS kickoff videos. It's going to be interesting to watch the running back battle too. Davis for Weaver is a pretty good running back, but mm-hmm. again, the combination Johannesson and Oliveira – for North Dakota, they've been dynamic. They both had big weeks last week. They're going to be coming they run off. the hell out of the football, So man. that could make the difference if you control the ball game. That's going to do it for us, folks. But let, before we go, we've both got places to go and places and people to see. Emery, where are you going to be this weekend? It's a light week for me, man. Um, I only have one broadcast this week. Oh, slack. <laughs> slack. But uh, Friday night, I will be at Boston College, Miami, checking out that game, scouting. But Saturday, I will be on the broadcast for Delaware State at Howard. Now, I've seen Delaware State play before. Um, and Delaware State, to me, not Delaware State at Howard. I'm sorry. That was the uh, – I did that game already. This week, I will be at Howard. Uh, yeah, Delaware State at Howard. Why am I feeling – why do I feel as though – oh, <laughs> no, that's what it was. He's it's jet lagging, folks. It's South Carolina State at Howard. Okay. So I'll there be I'll be at how is Howard's homecoming. I was advised to get to the game early because Howard's homecoming is chaotic. <laughs> the game against Delaware State was chaotic because it was the first home game because of the cancellation of the other game. But um, I will be at South Carolina State Howard. So- South Carolina State head coach Buddy Pugh's last season at the helm. I uh, did the game with Morgan in South Carolina State. So excited to see this team continue to build. They've been playing good football. Howard needs this game. Because they're trying to keep pace with FAMU. Well, you're gonna have this is gonna be the few one of the few weekends I'm gonna be a busier man than you are. Yes, you will. A little story for you folks. We actually, you know, you can tweet at us. We we don't attack you like some others might on Twitter. <laughs> a couple weeks ago we got a, a message sent to well, you got a message sent to you initially by uh, a fellow by the name of Bob. That's literally what his name is on here, Bob Williams. What's his Twitter handle? At two Bob Williams five. Talking about his Western Illinois ball club and talking about how, oh, we've had a bad loss already with Montana State. Messages were sent back and forth, and we received an invitation. Well, yeah, we both received an invitation. If you guys are ever out at a Western Illinois football game, let us know. Stop by our tailgate. Well, Bob, 
I'm going to take you up on that offer. I am actually going out. I will be covering the game. Western Illinois, actually a big ball game. They host Northern Iowa. It's a trap game. Could be a really big game, so I will be going to that game. I will be covering that game. And, Bob, I hope you got the tailgating food. Like I said on Twitter, any invitation that involves food, I'm down. So I will be stopping by the, the parking lot. Hopefully I get to see you guys there. And anybody who's listening to the show, if you guys are fans, call, you know, reach out to us. If we have, you know, if we have an opening in the schedule, we will make every effort to come and meet you guys and say hello. Thank you guys for listening in and enjoy a ball game while we're there. So I will be flying out on Friday, getting there for Saturday, flying back Saturday night because I got my New York Red Bulls on Sunday afternoon. I am just going to be losing my mind all weekend, but there I am. I'm excited for you, man, to go out there and cover that game. And shout out to Western Illinois Athletics uh, for the credential request last second. Um, They were able to make some adjustments and get us in there. And, you know, you're going to be covering a great game, great conference. I know we just said the Missouri Valley was overrated, but (laughs) at least you're going out there, not me. At Craig Haley. At Craig Haley. (laughs) At Craig Haley uh, for your complaints. But I'm happy for you, man. I know you're going to have fun. College football is is best when attended live, especially where it's built around the city. And Western Illinois is Macomb, Illinois. Shout out to Brett Taylor, who uh, played some great football uh, there during this time. Also, you get to see a pro prospect play as well. Exactly. There's going to be there's pro prospects all over the field between these two teams. Kalen Saunders. So we the got, defensive line for Western Illinois. So it's going to be a very interesting ball game. I can't wait to get out there. Hopefully, Chicago O'Hare behaves itself. I've had some experiences at their airport, haven't we all? But uh, hopefully, that behaves itself. But I will be out there for the game. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to meeting up with some of our listeners. And again, if you are a listener to the show, reach out to us. We're more than happy to answer your questions as long as you're semi-civil. You know, we don't want to have I any. Love, I love the anim- I love chaos. So <laughs> I, I take all the animosity and, and, and turn it into fuel. I love it. Internet trolls go to Emery. Complaints <laughs> go to Craig Haley. I get the nice people. You can, you can talk to me. <laughs> Folks, that'll do it for the podcast. We're looking forward to quite possibly another chaotic week in the FCS in week nine. Thank you for listening in. We'll see you next week.